You know, in prep for Father's Day, I came across a very interesting story this week about a young man named James a number of years ago. Uh, James um, was in his early teens, and his family was very poor. His father was a minister in rural America many, many years ago. And James had to go and get a job as a young teen. And he found a job at this grocery store. And he's working at this grocery store, and he was loving his job. Uh, he loved making money. He loved working hard. Uh, he loved uh, the owner of the grocery store. And James came home for family dinner one night with this uh, story he was very excited about. Uh, as he admired the owner of this grocery store, he's, uh, they're sharing their, about their day at the dinner table. And uh, James's father, the reverend, asked how James's day went at work. And James said, oh, it was great. You're not going to believe what I saw. Uh, and he said, the owner of the grocery store, he's, he, he's very intelligent, very clever, finding out ways to save money. He took the uh, uh, expensive coffee and dumped most of it out and filled the rest of it up with the cheap coffee in order to save money and still sold it as expensive coffee. Isn't that great? Dinner table was quiet. James's father, the reverend, said, James, let me ask you this. If the owner of the grocery store, when he bought that expensive coffee, how do you think he would feel if the manufacturer did the same thing to him and sold him the cheap coffee at the expensive coffee price? And James sat there for a minute, very somber, and said, yeah, I don't think he'd like that very much. And James's father said, you're right, because it's dishonest, because it's lying. He said, what I want you to do tomorrow, James, I want you to go in, I want you to collect all of the salary that is due you, and quit, and do not return to that place. And this was very unique because at this day and time in this community, particularly, jobs were scarce, and James's money, uh, James's family needed money, uh, bad, badly. Uh, but for them, uh, as James's father demonstrated, was teaching not just James but the whole family, um, truth and integrity are worth far more than the cost of a can of coffee. And so James went in, quit his job, uh, collected what was owed him salary-wise, and went home. Uh, well, not too long after that, he got another job at a general store type thing, almost like a department store type of deal before there really was department stores. And James began to fall in love with that job. So much so that as he saved money, he eventually opened his own and then opened another one and another one, and James went on to open hundreds of department stores, all plastered with his name on the outside, Mr. J.C. Penney, because his father had showed him the way to honor the Lord in how you work, in how you live your life. James was blessed in a phenomenal way to the extent that he lived in a way most believers would aspire to. Instead of tithing 10% and living off 90, James tithed 90 and lived off 10. You say, well, it must be nice to be J.C. Penney. <laughs> well, it was principles that he, that he was taught as a young boy, that each year he would grow his tithe every year, starting with 10%, going to 12, 13, 14 and a half, 16, building up to that. You know, there's a story of another guy who was... Uh, you know, considerably wealthy in, in, the, in the 
the, the range of J.C. Penney, told his preacher, uh, I really can't tithe, preacher. I've got too much money. And the preacher looked at him and said, okay, well, I know how I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God gives you less money so you can start tithing again. And he said, no, no, that's okay. I'll start tithing this Sunday. Uh, trusting the Lord is something that James's father taught him, something that his father had instilled in him um, and changed the direction of not just his life but many people around him. And Jesus, in the scripture we're going to use today, uses the illustration of a father giving to his child to demonstrate the heart of God. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. Um, if you're going to use a Bible on the pew rack, it's on page 812. 812. Um, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one of those home. It's yours. You can get the little golf pencil out of the pew and write your name in it. It's your Bible. Uh, we've got some more uh, coming in the mail this week, so we can fill in any empty slots we have in the room. But everybody needs a Bible. Matthew chapter 7. This scripture is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus' longest teaching we have recorded in scripture. I heard it called this week, um, the greatest sermon ever preached, because um, it was preached by Jesus. And this section here is right close to the end of the sermon. Matthew chapter 7 is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he's teaching about prayer, communication with God the Father. And he says this in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who ask, or asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. So he gives there uh, in verse 7, he gives three imperative verbs, three commands. Ask, seek, knock. Um, that word ask, ask and it will be given to you. You have to ask in order to receive. Um, Tony Evans kind of describes it that doesn't know how to explain it, but there's some things it would appear that God doesn't give unless we ask for it. Um, that Having this command from Jesus that to receive you must ask, that there are some things he gives in response to our asking. Uh, Jesus uh, described it again in John chapter 14 when he said, Whoever believes in me will also I do the works, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name. This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, look in those two verses, 13 and 14 particularly. Uh, he says it twice. He says, ask something in my name and I'm going to do it. Now, you can take words like this when he says, I will do this. Um, this is a promise from Jesus, the Son of God. He's going to do it. It's going to happen, guaranteed. So if you ask anything in my name, I'm going to do it. Now, some people, some Christians have... Uh, taking this as a formula, that if at the end of our prayers we say, in Jesus' name, that's like, okay, Jesus, you said it, so this is my stamp. You're going to do it, guaranteed. It's like we're trapping Jesus in, in the words here in Scripture. Uh, Jesus, do this thing, and in your name I pray, you, you're going to do it because you promised you're going to do it. In Jesus, Jesus, help me win the lottery. In your name I pray, amen. It says it right there, Jesus. It says it. You said it right there, John 14, 14. If I see anything in your name, you're going to do it. 
But that's not exactly what he's talking about because look at what he said there in that verse. Whatever you ask in my name. You see, doing something in Jesus' name isn't just words that we say. We don't just say, in your name, do this thing. Doing something or asking something in Jesus' name is really how we do it. It's not necessarily what you specifically say. It's how you do it. You know, this past week, our youth went on mission trip. Uh, they took 13 kids, six adults. Katie went with them. My boys went with them. Uh, when my boy, my two oldest boys, Caleb and Reagan, went to Colorado, they weren't just representing themselves. They were representing my name because they were bearing my name in Colorado. Just as much as they're bearing Jesus' name because they know Jesus. They're demonstrating the heart of Jesus. And that's true for all of us. Everyone on that trip in Colorado, all 13 youth, all six adults were bearing the name of Jesus in Colorado as they went, as they talked, as they communicated. So it's not just necessarily what they say, it's how you represent him, doing it in his name. You're bearing Jesus' name everywhere you go. So doing something in Jesus' name, asking something in Jesus' name is about our hearts and how we ask. You know, God told Samuel, uh, when Samuel went to anoint David as king in 1 Samuel, the Lord looks at the heart, but man looks at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance, at the way things appear and the way things look. But God knows the depths and the motivations of our hearts. And so it's about how we are doing it, why we are doing it, that God is responding to. So asking something in Jesus' name. Yes, I think we should still say in Jesus' name in our prayers. If anything, as a reminder to ourselves, everything I just said needs to be from an honoring heart. Everything I just said needs to be honoring to Jesus. This kind of prayer, asking something in Jesus' name, it's a kind of prayer that is uh, asked in humility, that is asked in selflessness, and that is asked in honor, honoring to Jesus. You see, if, if a prayer is, is asked in pride or selfishness, it's not honorable to God. Because the prayer is not about God, it's not about Jesus, it's about me and mine and what I want and what makes me happy and what makes me feel good rather than what honors God, what brings glory to God. So this kind of prayer, ask and you will receive, in context of John chapter 14, is asking in humility, asking in selflessness, asking in honor. And so making a prayer that asks in dishonor does not bring glory to God. It's not asking in Jesus' name. I was at a Bible study one time, and there was a guy there at the Bible study a number, number of years ago. Um, and he asked... Uh, as we were doing prayer requests, that we would pray that God would bless his relationship. And I knew he was in a very sinful relationship. And I took him aside and I said, we, we, we can't pray that. We can't pray that God would bless something he says in his word is not honorable. Uh, I do commend the guy. He still continued to come after that. I mean, he didn't just, you know, swear off and, and leave. Um, but we have to pray in a way that is humble and selfless and honorable. Ask and you will receive. Ask in Jesus' name and he will do it. Ask in an honorable way. So ask and it will be given to you. The second thing Jesus said there in Matthew 7, 7, seek and you will find. 
Now, if you read these, these phrases, ask, and it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open, you can kind of say, okay, ask. Obviously, in prayer, you're asking something. If you're knocking on a door, it's like trying to get God to open the door in the prayer request. But where does the seek part play into the prayer that we are talking about here? Seek, and you will find. Well, if you just look up a few verses, Jesus has just said something about seeking at the end of chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first what God would have of you. Seek first the way God wants you to live. So basically, seek first God's will, and he will provide everything you need. So in context of him saying that, seek this first, then he says you need to apply seeking God's will to your prayers. Seek and you will find. Seek it out and you will find. Seek in how you pray and you will find. Which John spoke about in 1 John chapter 5. John said, this is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when he says, seek and you will find, taking with it what John says here in 1 John chapter 5, seek his will and he hears us. Ask anything according to his will and he hears us. Ask anything according to his will and going back to John chapter 14, asking it in his name, he will do it. Going back to Matthew chapter 7 verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Seek God's will and apply that to how you pray and God will answer. You say, okay, fine, preacher man. How do I know God's will? How do I know what God wants? Well, how do you know what anybody wants? without them telling you. You spend time with them. You spend time with them. That's how you're able to anticipate what somebody else would want. You spend time with them. Investing that time, knowing their heart and how they're going to want it done. I mean, Jared, this morning, he pulled it off. I, I got into the baptistry and realized, somehow, I'd forgotten about the lights and the microphone. But Jared did it, anticipated what I needed, <laughs> because he had seen it done. He knew we needed it. And so, uh, we, and he's realized that, just spending time. That's what needs to happen. That's how you know it with God. You spend time with him. That's how you realize his will. You read scripture. You pray. The more you do it, the more you know about God. The more you know about God, the more you realize about his will. The more you realize about his will, the more you're able to pray according to his heart. That doesn't mean you don't ever pray something that you're unsure if it's part of his will. Or sometimes we, I'm not saying don't do this, but sometimes what we end up doing is we will pray for something that may seem impossible, and then we'll put a little clause on the end of it as though we're giving God a way out. And we say, God, do this miracle, do this miraculous thing only if it be your will. And it's not as though, you know, some of us, you may have an absolutely pure heart when you say that. God, I only want your will to happen. But so, honestly, I've done it this way. Sometimes we pray it that way because in the back of our minds, we don't really think God's going to do the miracle thing. And so we say that so that it doesn't mess our faith up when God says no. And we say, only if it be your will, because God, I really don't think you're going to do it. 
I really don't trust you, God. I really don't think it's going to be there when, when you said it's going to be there. I really don't think you're going to deliver. I really don't think uh, you're going to add all these things unto me uh, that you said in Matthew chapter 6. I really don't think it's going to be there, so I'm just going to give you an out, So as though God really needs our permission to have an out. Um, I'm not saying don't, again, don't tack that on your prayers. Don't, I mean, you may very well have the heart of, of one who puts that there, and that's perfectly great, absolutely. Um, I was convicted one time praying for somebody in dire straits. Uh, it was in a hospital room. And uh, I felt the Lord say, in the middle of the prayer, yeah, don't put that on the end of the prayer. He says, as though God were saying to me, because I know what's really in your heart. You don't think I can do this. God said, no, pray for healing. Absolutely. Pray they'll come out of this surgery and recover. The doctor's saying it won't happen. Pray that it will. And I saw God do a miracle that day. God doesn't do the same thing the same way every time. We can't reduce what God did for one person to a formula and apply it constantly. God is in relationship with us. And so how we communicate with God needs to be reflective of the relationship he desires to have with us. It needs to be loving. It needs to be absolutely trusting and faithful because God is uh, worthy of that trust. And so we need to pray in response to that trust. How much do we trust God? How much do we have faith in God? I mean, Jared brought something to me the other day, a few weeks ago. A church member was going to do this thing uh, that we had never even thought was possible. And we were just taken aback for the moment. And, and I said, it really makes me feel like we're not praying big enough. <laughs> like, God's able to do this, and we didn't even think to ask about it because we didn't think it was possible. Um, but we need to come to God, seek his will, seek his heart, know him as best we can know him this side of heaven. And pray accordingly, seek and you will find, again, a promise of God. Seek, and you will find. And then he says, knock, and it will be open. Knock, and it will be open to you. You know, all three of those, those verbs, ask, seek, knock, which coincidentally in English spell the word in acronym, ask. Uh, knock, uh, ask, and seek, those are all uh, present verbs, active verbs, and imperative verbs. It, it, it means it is a constant unending action. You start it and you keep doing it. There's no end in sight. You just keep on keeping on. So this knocking is a persistent knocking. Like Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So God's will is constant prayer. If somebody comes to your door and just knocks without stopping, you're going to answer the door? You're going to get frustrated? You're going to call the police? Just keeps knocking? Your kid comes and knocks on the door to the bathroom. Gets under the door, puts his little fingers down there. You're going to open the door, probably a little frustrated. I've done that. What are you doing? I'm just, leave me alone for 10 seconds. Come on. Pray without ceasing. Knock and it will be open to you. Don't stop knocking. Now, it's not saying that God will ever be irritated with us if we continue to knock. God isn't a reflection of our hearts. We're a reflection of his, tainted by sin. And so we need to continually knock, continually pray, continually 
ask, continually seek until God gives us an answer. You know, they say God gives three answers. He always answers your prayer, either with a yes, a no, or a wait. And a lot of times what ends up happening is if we get a no, we're going to keep knocking. When actually a no should mean stop knocking and pray for something else. Or if God says wait, keep knocking, we give up because he doesn't answer the prayer within two or three days. We give up too quick. We give up too fast. We give up because we can't wait. We want the microwave and not the crock pot prayer. God says just wait, hang on. If you get this thing now, it's going to ruin your whole life. I've got an exact time for this thing to come. You're not there yet. You're still like 11 years away from this thing. You just got to keep persevering, keep trusting me in the in-between. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be difficult. There's going to be days you're going to want to quit. But you got to keep going because this is the perfect timing. You just got to trust me for it. Just wait. And so we got to keep knocking, keep coming to him, keep praying, keep offering it up. We may get tired of it. We may want to stop. But he says keep knocking. Honestly, I mean, I gave you all testimony about this back in January. There was something I was praying for, a specific uh, a miracle that I was praying for for our church, a, a, a gift, a financial gift to our church. I was praying for it since last August. And I told you all back in January, I honestly, as the preacher, I'm testifying, I didn't think God would do it. I didn't think he'd do it. Because our church had never had a financial gift that big. I thought it was, I didn't, I wouldn't tell you I thought it was beyond God. I just thought it was beyond what was going to happen. But I wrote it in my prayer journal. And because it was written down, and I'm OCD, uh, because it's written down, I kept praying it every day. Even thinking in my mind, ah, this is, this is never going to happen. I mean, we never even had somebody give a financial gift half this much. You know, this is, this is crazy. And I kept praying and then we started that fast in January. The last day of the fast, I'd come up to the church, check the mail. You know what was in the mailbox? A check for the exact amount I'd been praying for since August. Even though I doubted, God answered the prayer. Because I kept knocking. Even thinking, nobody's going to answer this. <laughs> nobody's going to answer this. Nobody's going to answer this. And then the door opens. And I think, oh, my word. I thought if we had had security cameras back then, people would see me jumping up and down if we had them in the office back then. Uh, you keep knocking. You don't stop. You're praying for that person to find repentance? Don't stop. You're praying for your kid? Don't stop. You're praying for that thing to happen in our community? Don't stop. You're praying for that person to get broken from, from the, the throes of addiction? Don't stop. Keep knocking. That's, that, that's what that is. Knock and the door will be open to you. Now, how the door is open doesn't always look like how we anticipate. Because God's going to answer our prayers in the way that's honorable to him. Not always the way we want it to happen. Or the way we figure in our sinful minds is the best way for God to do what we want him to do. A lot of times we, we pray and we want God to do something according to our timetable, according to our way of, of functioning, uh, according to what the specifics of what will make us the most happy. But God's going to do it the way he's going to do it that's going to bring glory to him. His timing, his manner, his way. And his way is the best way, always. So we need to pray. We need to ask. We need to seek. We need to knock. 
constantly. And then Jesus, in his description of this prayer, gives this illustration of a father. Starting in verse 9. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Good gifts to those who ask him. So it's the picture. His father's there, and his kid comes to him and says, Dad, I'm hungry for some bread. And the dad gives him a rock and says, all right, chew on that. Kid comes and says, Dad, I'm hungry for a little fish. Dad gives him a live snake says, chew on that. God, uh, Jesus is giving this illustration saying, if you people, he says, who are evil, the idea is who have your, sin, your, your hearts tainted by sin, know how to give good gifts to your children who's coming and genuinely begging for food. It's not like when you brush your kid's teeth and they immediately say they're hungry and they, didn't, and they didn't eat their peas at dinner and they're hungry now for chips. It's not that. It's your kid's genuinely hungry and genuinely asking for something they need and, and for help, for something to eat. And he says, who of you people, you, cre- you creatures, you humanity, aren't going to ha- ha- have compassion on your child and want to give them something to eat? He says, so you who have sin, imagine God, his creatures, his children coming to him, asking him for something, and God isn't tainted by sin. How much more will God want to answer that prayer? He says, if you want to answer the request, how much more will God want to answer the request? He says, so ask, seek, knock, and God's going to give, he says there in that verse, good things to those who ask him. Look at Uh, Flip over to James. It'll be on the screen, too. Um, Speaking to this good things, these good gifts. James chapter 1, verse 17. Now, James writing this is the brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus came to faith, uh, we believe, after Jesus died and rose from the dead. And he wrote this. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So every good thing comes from God. Every good thing, he says, comes from God. God doesn't change. God's always been the same. And every good thing comes from him. You may say, well, but hey, man, I I get a lot of bad stuff in my life. Doesn't God give me that? Doesn't God give me the bad stuff that comes, the bad health, the bad financial situation, the, the bad stuff that happens to my kid. Doesn't God give me that? I would say, well, if this says God gives every good and perfect gift is from above. And as we've talked about in years past, we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a world that's been broken by sin. We live in a world that in being broken by sin, introduced disease, introduced death, introduced Uh, All the ramifications of sin, which disease is a direct result of sin. Not that you sinned, but that sin exists and that the world is broken. And that's what made it happen. Yeah, God allowed it, but that didn't mean God directly injected it into you. God allowed it because he's all-powerful, but God allowed it so that he, he will allow you to believe in his salvation. 
If God didn't allow you, if God didn't allow stuff to happen, even bad stuff, you would not be able to choose God. You would not have the choice to believe. He tells us to believe and be saved. And if we did not have that choice to believe and be saved, yeah, everything would be hunky-dory and fantastic. But there also wouldn't be love in the world. There wouldn't be salvation in the world. There wouldn't be opportunity for heaven. And God is delaying the final judgment. As we've been looking for a couple months throughout the book of Revelation, God is delaying the end of the world so that more and more people can come to faith. And bad stuff's going to continue to happen because we live in a broken world. Disease, pain, hardship, exhaustion, dealing with other broken, sinful people. It's all going to continue uh, so that more and more people can get saved. But even in the midst of all of the brokenness and all of the mess, he says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. All of them. God gives Good gifts. But take this verse in context. Jump up there to verse 13 of James chapter 1. James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So your temptation never comes from God. Okay? Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, sinful desire within us. Uh, Verse 15, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Death being the direct result of sin. And so he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So it would seem James is writing saying, some people are saying the temptations and bad stuff comes from God. He says, don't be deceived. That's not God bringing that. That's not God bringing that because, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 18, of his own will, God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, look, I want you to look at the first part of that verse. He brought us forth. You know what that literally means? He gave birth to us by the word of truth. That's the gospel. He gave us salvation. So here, verse 18. In verse 17, James said, God gives you every good and perfect gift. And as an illustration of what those gifts look like, he says, salvation is right at the top of the list. He says, if God can give you the best gift that there is, salvation, don't you think God can give you other things that's good? If God can give you the absolute best thing that ever is in the history of the world, don't you think God can give you other good gifts? God gives good gifts. God gives, that doesn't mean, again, I want to emphasize, don't don't mishear me, bad stuff's still going to happen. Judgment still happens. Correction still needs to happen. Sometimes discipline still needs to happen. But God gives good gifts ultimately to bring about his glory and his purpose, and his honor. God gives good gifts. And so you can look at your life and however it's played out and however things are are rolling out. And if you were actually to do a real assessment of everything that's played out in your life and be able to look at it from an unbiased perspective, 
you would see God's hand weaving its way through everything. That even when bad stuff dropped and even when difficulties happened and even when that person did that thing and brought about this, God was right there in the middle of it. Right there in the middle of it. I can look at some of the worst days I've ever had in my life and say, you know what? God carried me through that. God grew me through that. Yeah, I stumbled and yeah, I messed that up in 15 different ways. But God was still there, still faithful, still able to bring me through, make me stronger on the other side. God is still faithful. God gives good gifts. God gives salvation. So when you look at your own life, is there anything in the moment right now you need to be asking God for? Ask and you will receive. Is there any part of his will you need to be seeking out? What does God have for me in this moment? Seek and you will find. Is there anything you've given up on praying for? Because you got tired of praying for it. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. And see what God will do. See what God will do with a people who never stop asking seeking and knocking. Maybe today you need to realize God's perfect gift of salvation has been given to us so that we can believe, so that we can receive eternity in heaven. All we have to do is believe that Jesus is God's son. Believe that God, uh, that Jesus died so that all our sins would be forgiven. And then believe that God raised him from the dead so that we can live forever in heaven. So the question is, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, will you believe in Jesus? Will you believe in Jesus? Will you accept that that, that good and perfect gift of salvation and find eternity waiting? Will you believe in Jesus? Maybe you already believed in Jesus and you need to recalibrate how you communicate with him. Is there something you need to ask God for, seek God for, knock on God's door for today? That's all. In just a second, I'm going to pray, and uh, you're going to have a moment. You have a moment to believe if you want to believe. I'll be here at the front. Jared will be standing at the back. You can come and talk to us during this song, or even after the service. We'll still be here. You can talk to us. We'd love to talk to you. Or message us online, and we'll hit you up uh, later on today. Um, If you want to believe in Jesus, you want to be a part of the church, maybe you need to get baptized like you saw Hope do earlier. Maybe you have believed in Jesus, but you've never demonstrated to the world you're a follower of Jesus. Baptism doesn't save you, but it shows the world you want to follow Jesus. It's an act of obedience to to, to, to show God you want to follow him. If you need to be baptized, I can, I can testify. The water's warm. It's full right now. We can do it. Here in, we can do it here in just a second. We got some T-shirts back there right now. We got some robes as well if you want to go that route. If you need to get baptized, come be baptized. Do you need to be saved? Do you need to be baptized? you need to keep knocking?